Our scripture reading of Psalm 121 will be um, in response with each other with our Psalter found on page 760. So I'll give you a moment to find that in your hymnal. We will not do the musical refrain, but we will, um, you are invited to read the bold. How's everyone coming? All right. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where will my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. The Lord will not let your foot be moved. The Lord who keeps you will not slumber. The one who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in for this time on and forevermore. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning, church. A reading from John today, story you may remember, that of Nicodemus. Starting in verse 1, going through verse 17. There was a Pharisee named Nicodemus, a leader of the Jews. He came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. For no one can do these signs that you do apart from the presence of God. Jesus answered him, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above. Nicodemus said to him, How can anyone be born after having grown old? Can one enter the second time into the mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, the kingdom of God, without no one, I tell you that no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and spirit. What is born of the flesh is flesh, and what is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not be astonished that I, of what I have said to you. You must be born from above. The wind blows where it chooses, and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you a teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Very truly I tell you, we speak of what we know and testify to what we have seen, yet you do not receive our testimony. If I had if I have told you about earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, 
so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, so that everyone who believes in him may not perish, but have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn, but in order that the world might be saved through him. May God add a blessing to these readings today. Technical glitch here. Oh, stay up here, right? That's what I heard. Yeah. Okay. Good morning, church, again. I tell you this morning that I come from a long line of faith mentors. People who have taught me how to be a Christian in this world. And some of them have been men, but I tell you that most of my faith mentors have been women. And of those... There are two I want to tell you about today. The first, her name was Reva, R-E-V-A. She lived her life never having met another person with her name. She was unique in that way in the church that I grew up in. She was that member of the church who hardly said a word. She was at everything. She was always in the back of the room. She was always that person in the kitchen or behind the scenes that made sure that church always ran perfectly. But she was not a person who spoke a whole lot, if any at all, during meetings or other times. But she found herself at the end of the year at one of those board meetings, you know, those board meetings where you can't find enough people. Maybe that never happens here. But this was over a quarter of a century ago. And the leaders of the board were frustrated and arguing among themselves that they could not find enough elders to serve. At the time, this disciple church had not yet embraced women as elders. And Riva sat in the back of the room listening for 45 minutes as the leaders of the church discussed in frustration how they could not find enough men to serve as elders. And then in the front row, there was this 30-year-old woman named Elizabeth. And Elizabeth stood up, and she did speak. And she said, I think it's about time this church start accepting women to be elders, and then we wouldn't be talking about not having enough. There was an awkward silence. And then they went back to arguing that they couldn't find enough people. (laughs) That meeting ended, and a month went by, and now it was the last board meeting of the year. And there Reva sat, once again, quiet in the back of the room. And they were arguing once again about how they could not find anyone. And without any... anybody calling on her, Reva stood up. And the leaders stopped talking. Because Reva never stood up or talked. So they knew something was up. But between the last meeting and this one, she had called her son, who had just graduated from seminary, and my mother, yeah, Reva is my mother. She called me and she said, Billy, that's what she called me. 
Billy, do you think women can be elders in the church? And I said, as I read scripture, I think they've always been elders in the church. They've always been. Read scripture and you will find that women, without women, the church would not exist. Women have always been elders. Here are some passages that are clear. So she entered that meeting well-informed and ready to speak. And she told them, it is time this church reaches out to women and calls women to be elders. And I think Elizabeth should be the first elder of this church. And so it happened. Those leaders didn't continue to argue. They simply accepted Reva's voice among them. Shortly thereafter, about two years later, my mother served on the search committee for their first woman pastor. She will retire now, 27 years later. That church is healthy and thriving. I love my mother's voice. I totally tell you that I have come from a long line of faith mentors who have taught me how to speak and how to listen, how to be a leader within the life of the church. And my mother was one of them. When I reflect on our text this morning, I love the story of Nicodemus. I think I like it so much because as much as I want to convict Nicodemus for not knowing and not hearing the voice and somehow not understanding, I know I've been that person. I know we as the church have been the Nicodemus. It's, it's strange because Nicodemus even gets called out in the scripture that he should understand. He's a leader in the church. I mean, he knows scripture. He knows all of this. He even acknowledges that he gets it that Jesus can't be doing all these miracles and signs if he's not of God. And yet, when Jesus simply says to him, you have to be born again. You have to become something different. It's not just enough that we are born. We must make an intentional choice to follow the God of love and grace and justice, the God who wants this world to be at its best. Baptism of water and of spirit. Why doesn't Nicodemus see that or hear that voice? I don't really know. It doesn't really tell us why he's not hearing it. But that's the part when I look at myself and us as church. Why don't we hear the voices that cry out at board meetings or in our world? I wonder if Nicodemus wasn't just really in his own routine. Now, that's sometimes what prevents us from hearing the new voice, is that we just like what we like. We like sitting in the same pew. Maybe you all don't hear. I tell you, when I go home to my home church in Iowa, my parents haven't attended that church for a lot of years. And I will still gravitate to the seventh pew on the right side, because that is my pew. We get used to doing the same thing. I don't know if it's just because Nicodemus couldn't hear the voice because he was just doing the same things over and over. I don't know if it was that Nicodemus was afraid because you know we get used to things and we fear the things that we don't know. I myself like to drive the same road, but every once in a while there's, my GPS will get me lost and I can tell you I fear that I don't know what's on the other side. Fear can prevent us from hearing the voices that are right before us in whatever wilderness we are in. 
there's so many reasons why Nicodemus might not have been able to hear that voice. But as much as I want to convict him and say, why didn't you know? Because you knew that Jesus was clearly the Son of God. Why didn't you know what he was saying? Why could you not hear that voice? And it all points back to me and you. We are human beings who like what we know, and we get used to hearing the same voices that sometimes we can't hear the next thing or the next voice. I tell you, I come from a long line of faith mentors. And of all of them, one of my greatest was my grandmother. And I tell you this story with a little fear and trembling because the story that I tell you, the moment that my grandmother became my faith mentor, the voice in my own wilderness growing up was the day I thought she was going to end my life. <laughs> Sometimes those are the moments that teach us the most. You see, my grandmother um, taught me over and over, I should have listened to her voice earlier, but she had told me over and over that when we are growing up as children, there's a moment when you get grace and love and you're not responsible for the things you do. As long as you can crawl underneath the couch or in small closets, you're good. But that particular day was the day I was in between. Not quite able to fully hide underneath the couch or in a small closet. You see, we used to go to my grandparents' house because my grandparents were one of the first Iowa farmers to get one of those uh, huge satellite disks, you know, the ones that can reach Mars. Huge. And that allowed them to get like 400 channels that we couldn't get in the city. So we would always go out to the farm and we'd work in the garden and work in the fields and then we'd come home and we could watch two hours of any shows we wanted of the 400. And I fell in love with Columbo. I just loved that show, and I think I liked it because Columbo would always outsmart the villain with his mind, and I loved that part. You know, just when you thought that the villain was going to get away with something, Columbo would figure it out somehow, either through a recorder or some kind of information that he got. He was a great detective. And then, just when you thought that was it. He would turn away to walk out the door and the villain was like, oh, I got away with it. And then he would turn back and he'd say, oh, one more thing. And that's when you knew Columbo had figured it out and the villain was going to be convicted. I loved it so much that I was really sure at nine years old that God was calling me to be a detective. <laughs> Hadn't received that call for to be a minister yet, but I knew I wanted to be a detective so I asked my grandmother for Christmas, could I please have one of those recorders? You know, the, the old uh, push play and record, and I even had got a little microphone. Sure enough, underneath the tree that Christmas was a box with my name on it. And when I opened it up, it was a recorder with one cassette tape. And all that Christmas, I went around and secretly taped all of my cousins saying how they were the ones to throw the baseball through the window, how they had colored on the walls, how they had done all kinds of stuff. If only I had saved that tape. Mm, maybe I could get my cousins to do more. 
But there was also this other tradition in our family. That somehow, right, I don't know exactly why, but right after eating, all of the men would go out to the garage and stand around and talk about things. And all of the women in our family would go around the kitchen table, the sacred kitchen table. And around that table, they would complain, share rumors, talk about their spouses, argue with one another, everything you would not want to be recorded. But I wanted to be a detective. And on that day, I crawled inside, barely, a closet right next to the kitchen and that sacred table. And I slid open the door just slightly to put out the mic. And I pushed play and record, and I held my breath for 29 and a half minutes. Because if you remember, those recorders, when they finished the 30-minute tape, popped up those two keys, and inside that closet, it acted like a speaker. And I am looking through the crack of that door at my grandmother when that sound goes off. I tell you, in my memory, my grandmother turned her head like an owl and looked right in my eyes through the crack of that closet. But I still thought that I was young enough that I could close the door and everything would be okay. But I heard her footsteps. And with one arm, my grandmother slid open the door, the, the door to the closet and she reached in and she grabbed the scuff of my shirt and she pulled me out and she held me two feet above the ground looking into my eyes. I tell you, Iowa farm women are strong. And I began to cry. And I said to her, I know it, I know I, I did something wrong. I, I, I shouldn't have done it, I shouldn't have done it. And I was scared and I tell you again, I was sure that my grandmother was going to end my life. And she had every right to do so. And I knew it inside my soul. I had recorded everything that they had said around that sacred table. But that's when my grandmother taught me as a faith mentor. She slowly lowered me to the ground. And she got down on her knees. And she put her hands on my shoulders. And she looked into my eyes and she said, let's see what we can do to make this right. And she stood up and she grabbed my hand and the recorder and she took me into that sacred table with all of those women sitting around and she explained to them what I had done. And there was an audible gasp and then my grandmother rewound that 30-minute tape she pushed play and record. And we sang the most awful Christmas hymns for 30 minutes. <laughs> and erased all that was on the tape. But more importantly, my grandmother was a voice I have not forgotten. A voice of grace and love when she had every right to think something differently. Every time I am in the wilderness, when I've made a mistake, or the world gets too harsh, I think of my grandmother and her ability to 
to model to me something different for my future. Church, I know that there are lots of things that prevent us from hearing the voices that we need to hear in this world. I know that the world can be a bully. I know that sometimes it's our own mistakes that get in the way and sort of make us think that maybe we're not good enough. But today, I remind you that there is a different voice to listen to. I have to believe that eventually Nicodemus got the message. I don't really get that necessarily here, but I have to believe that eventually he began to hear that voice somehow, from someone, one of his own faith mentors. Please, O oh church, it is so easy to get into our, return, our routines, to let our fears prevent us from hearing the voices that we need to be a thriving church, a voice of hope for the world. So I ask you this day in the sermon, please, hear the voices in the wilderness. Do whatever you can. That'd be a great place to end the sermon, I suppose, but one more thing. It really isn't enough. Seriously, it's not enough that you just open your own ears to hear the voices. I need you to be the voices. I need you to be the faith mentors that my mother was to me and my grandmother was to me. Because, again, the world is not kind sometimes. The world steals our hope. The world tells us as church that we're not relevant enough anymore to make a difference. But I tell you that we are. And I need you to tell someone today or this week to be their faith mentor, to be that voice that says the church should do this or that you are good or give them grace when they may not fully deserve it. May it be so. Amen.